0: join with brother Joe in welcoming each of you who are visiting with us today. We are always delighted to have visitors with us and you are special to us. We want you to come back and worship with us any opportunity that you may have. And uh, as we have enjoyed the announcement this morning of the youngs, we invite you if you're looking for a church home to uh, speak with our elders. Uh, we would love to have you to work with us here at the Lord's Church at Bobby Branch. Several months ago, we began a study of the prison epistles, or the letters from jail, if you will. How the Apostle Paul, while in that Roman prison, wrote letters to churches and individuals. And we have studied the book of Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. And now we're going to focus our attention on a postcard. And the reason why I call it a postcard, because it's short, it's a to-the-point message that was written from Paul to his beloved brother and friend, Philemon. And uh, as we begin each of these lessons, we want to begin with a question. Have you ever known someone who would always do more than you ask of them? And I'm sure many of you, as you are thinking about that in your mind, may be thinking back to a teacher. Perhaps you were in a class where you were struggling with something such as math. And you would ask your teacher, will you help me? And the teacher would say, sure, I will help you. You were maybe expecting just a small amount of instruction, but that teacher went above and beyond and was willing to do more than you had even asked. Or many of us have friends who when you ask their help will not only provide for you the help that you ask, but provide even more. Let's say for instance a windstorm came through and blew down a tree in your yard and you ask your friend, could I borrow your chainsaw to be able to cut this tree up? Well, sure you can. And then they arrive not only with chainsaw but with work gloves and they help you get it done and get it done quickly. Or maybe perhaps some of us have had some great co-workers. Someone that you ask if they would do something for you. Uh, I am blessed to have Brother Steve Hillis to work with as a coworker, because whatever you ask him to do, sure, brother, I'll take care of it. That's the way he always is. People willing to do more than you would ask of them. Well, the truth is Philemon was that type of person. Paul knew him well. Paul knew that he would do everything that he asked of him. This morning's lesson is going to be a study of the book of Philemon. We're going to follow this outline, if you will. We'll begin, first of all, with the praise for Philemon in verses 1 through 7. Then Paul's petition for Onesimus in verses 8 through 16. And then in verses 17 through 25, the promise that Paul made. And then as time permits at the end of our lesson, I'd like to look at some points to ponder. Having read and studied this whole chapter, whole letter if you will, there are some great things that could be a part of our lives. Let's begin, first of all, and look at verses 1 through 7. We've already looked at verses 1 and 2, but let's go through them again. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer. To the beloved Athia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church that is in your house. Grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers. Hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. That the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgment of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Now let's take a few moments here, if you will, to notice how he refers to him. Beloved friend and fellow laborer or fellow worker. You know, when you start looking around about you, I'm sure that many of you can tell various ones that are your dearest friends. And that's what the word beloved means. Somebody who's very near and dear to your heart. To call someone a fellow laborer or fellow worker is a co-worker. There are many people working in the Lord's kingdom. Sometimes we're privileged to work together. Philemon was that type of person. Then he says to Athea, many of the scholars, because of the way it is written about the church that is in your house, think that Athea must be Philemon's wife and Archippus, his son, we do know that when we studied Colossians chapter 4 and verse 17, Archippus had been given a ministry because Paul wrote and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received into the Lord that you may fulfill it. God's given you a job to do. God's given you a service. And if you follow along with second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 4, where Paul tells Timothy to make full proof of his ministry. Then he says to the church that is in your house, the congregation that was in Colossae, at least one of the congregations there met in the home of Philemon. And then the reputation. He says hearing of your love and your faith. You know there's some people who develop a reputation that carries far and wide. If I were to ask you, do you know of a preacher somewhere? One who maybe visits to whole gospel meetings, one in which you know that his preaching and his teaching is genuine, it is great, it is to the point, I dare say most of us would be able to name that person. On the other hand, there's sometimes some great faithful Christians working and serving in local congregations. I can tell you in those congregations where I have been privileged to work that there are people that you can tell stand out. They're devoted to the Lord. Their life speaks volumes. That's who Philemon was. Paul praises him for all of these things. But then he goes on to say that the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you. That word refreshed brings to my mind some other passages of Scripture and I think even maybe helps us further grasp why Paul's praising him so. In 1 Corinthians 16, verses 17 and 18, I am glad about the coming of Fortinus, or Stephanus, Fortunus, and Caiacus. For what was lacking on your part, they supplied. For they refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge such men. Paul's talking about when support arrived. I know some of us like payday. The reason why you like payday is because your spirit is refreshed. I've got some money. I can be able to do something now. You think about the refreshing that these good brethren brought as they brought this support. Or 2 Corinthians 7 verse 13. Paul's talking about Titus. And he says, Therefore we have been comforted in your comfort." And rejoice more exceedingly or exceedingly more for the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. You think about how the church at Corinth was going through all the struggles and the difficulties. And Paul had sent Titus there to address some of these matters. Paul was worried about how they might receive Titus. But when Titus arrived, there was a repentance took place in chapter 7. He was so enthused by the fact that they had repented. And Titus had been encouraged by that. And when Paul got that news, it refreshed him as well. You think about how you might be discouraged when you see problems going on in the church. And then someone comes along and they bring you some good news. It's almost like it stirs you up again. It's how a person feels after a peaceful night of rest. Sometimes we may struggle in our sleep. But then there's times when we are blessed with a peaceful rest. In Mark 6 and verse 31, Jesus said, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. The word rest there is the same word for refreshed. Paul said that Philemon had refreshed the brethren. He had given them Good news, good direction, like someone from rest. But you know, Paul's writing to praise Philemon was not all there was. He had a petition he wanted to present with regards to the slave uh, Onesimus here to Philemon. Let's look at verses 8 through 16. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting... Yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, being such as one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is... "...profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is, my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent I would do nothing, that your deed might not be by compulsion, but as it were, voluntary." For perhaps he departed a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave. A beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. The first thing I want you to notice as you look at Paul's petition, it was a request Not a requirement. Paul didn't come and say to him, I demand, I command you to take him back. No, he comes with a request. And that's because God always wants people to give with a willing heart. I want you to listen to 2 Corinthians 9, 7. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. You see in verse 14 he says, But without your consent I would do nothing because your good deed might not be done by compulsion, but as it were voluntary. God wants us to voluntarily serve him. Could someone force you to be a Christian in your life? Well, sure they could. They could stand with a gun behind you and say, you're going to go to church. They could stand behind you and say, you're going to be baptized and threaten your life with it. Many religions operate that way. Islam is one of the religions that operates with intimidation by threat and fear. But God doesn't act that way. God wants people to do things willingly. And so Paul prevails upon Philemon for Onesimus. And he says, I'm doing this out of love. I really care about you. I don't want to make demands out of a friend. And then he gives some perspective to it because he calls himself Paul the Aged and also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. One thing that everyone learns as they get older is age changes perspective. Things that you once might have thought to be extremely important now seems to be almost unimportant. And things that you didn't really even consider to be important years ago now are of paramount concern. You get a little older and you get a little wiser and you realize that it's much easier to ask someone to do something than it is to command them to do it. It's much easier to try to lead people than it is to drive people. And so Paul, as the aged here, makes this request. Let's look at the appeal that he makes. He says, For my son Onesimus... Whom I had begotten while in chains. That means that Paul converted him while he was in prison. That's just remarkable. You know, today we're we're free. We can travel about our country, go just about anywhere we want to. We ask no one to say, I need to be able to go here. We can go to someone's home, especially if they want us to arrive there. But Paul's in chains. He can't go where he wishes. I like the way Paul put it to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 verse 9. For which I suffer trouble as an evildoer. Even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. You can chain Paul but you can't chain the gospel. That gospel can reach out and convert people in many places. In many circumstances. Then he says, he was once unprofitable to you, but now profitable to you and me. See, the truth is, the gospel changes people. It takes people from their former life, where pleasing self generally is the way that people think. Whatever makes me happy, to now serving God. And how can that change a man who's a, a slave, a servant? In Titus 2, verses 9 and 10, exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior In all things. You take a man who is a slave and you make a Christian out of him. He's no longer unprofitable. Now he is very profitable. You take a person who is not a Christian, who is a boss or an owner, in this case a master, and you make a Christian out of him and you've made the best master. Christianity changes things. Paul says, I'm sending him back. I wish to keep him with me on your behalf that he might minister to me in my chains in the gospel. See, Paul had a a use for Onesimus. But he was not going to do so and ride roughshod over the rights and the privileges of Philemon. And so Paul says, I could use him but I am going to send you, send him back to you. But then he reminds Philemon, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Not only has the nature of Onesimus changed, by being a Christian, but his relationship to Philemon has changed as well. He's now a brother in the Lord. What a powerful thought that is. Now, very quickly, let's look at verses 17 through 25 and the promise that Paul makes. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes anything, Put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay. Not to mention that you that you owe me even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience... I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Paul's main purpose in this last section is to say, if he's wronged you, if he owes you anything, I will pay it. Paul even puts his name down. He says, I, Paul, have written this. That's like signing an IOU. owe you. But Paul signs a blank I owe you. If he owes you anything, I'll pay it. If he's wronged you in any way, if he's stolen anything, I'll take care of it. But then he reminds Philemon that he has obligations as well. When Paul says, you owe me even your own self, very likely it is Paul who has converted Philemon. We know Paul has never been to Colossae. And not ever having been there, it's very likely that he met Philemon somewhere else and perhaps it converted him when he went back to Colossae. But he's planning on going. He's confident in his release because he says, prepare me a guest room. He expected to be released. Now, with the few minutes that I have left, I'd like to look with you at some points to ponder. Some things that you and I can be able to grasp from this. The first one is the magnanimous spirit of Philemon. If I were to ask you, was he a hospitable person? Let's look and see. Number one, the church met in his house. How many of you would like to have the whole congregation over to your house next week? Be sort of crowded at my house. I think it would be crowded at most of our houses. Would you think about the Logistics of letting a congregation meet where you live. Not just once, but that's where it regularly meets. That shows a great amount of hospitality in and of itself. He was a generous giver. Paul says, I know that you will do even more than what I ask of you. That has a history in it. He was the kind of person that would host a guest room. Paul knew that he had a guest room, and Paul knew that he would be willing to show that hospitality to him. Would do more than he asked. We need to think about our own selves. We need to be givers rather than takers. We need to be hospitable. Hearts and homes open. We need to let people know that we love them. Number two, are you willing to go the second mile in forgiveness? You think about how hard it would be for Philemon to be a forgiver here. One that he had paid for. One that he owned. Onesimus. Onesimus has run away from him. And now he's going to be returning. And Paul is telling Philemon to forgive him. To accept him back. Sometimes you and I make mistakes. And we ask people to forgive us. And we patiently and penitently, ask people, and we need to be the kind of people who go that second mile to forgive. One of the things that was a radical idea in the first century was that of everybody being brethren. You see, they had a caste system. You had owners and slaves But Paul made it clear when he wrote the Galatians, Galatians three twenty six. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. There's neither Jew nor Greek, neither bond nor free, neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're of Christ, then you're of Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You see, they had people then who wanted to be considered above people. But listen to Jesus But you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do we view one another as brethren in the Lord? Are we willing to go back and make things right like Onesimus? Evidently, Onesimus here in his penitence was willing to go back, Paul sending him. He's going to have to apologize to Philemon. You know, sometimes the mistake's on my part. I'm the one who's the offender. I'm the one who's done wrong. And if I become a Christian, it's my obligation to go back and correct things that are wrong. Just like Onesimus was. Paul interceded for Onesimus. He had two brethren that he loved and he appreciated, both Philemon and Onesimus, and he sought to be a peacemaker. He sought to try to resolve a difficult situation. You know, sometimes we've got friends, and just like Paul when he wrote the Philippians, in Philippians chapter four, he says, I exhort Yodia and I exhort Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Help these women, true yoke fellow, and the other fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Philippians chapter four, I believe that's verses two and three. Philemon was a powerful example of what a good Christian does. Good man. Onesimus is an example of a great convert, one who changes his life. Now the question is this morning for each of us is, would we like to change our lives to be what Lord, the Lord wants us to be? If you'll open your songbook now, we're going to sing the song of encouragement. This song is to encourage you you're not a Christian to be obedient to the gospel, what a privilege it was this Thursday morning to baptize a young man into Christ. I can't tell you anything that would delight me more, but more importantly what would delight the angels of heaven than to have a new brother or a new sister in Christ this morning. It's very possible that we also have brothers and sisters who looked at their lives and said, I've been thinking about this. I know I need to fix things. I know I need to make things right. We come as we stand and sing.